Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? The Roosters are off to a perfect start in the NRLW. British sprinter calls for further research into menstruation and it's AFLW time. Go the Giants. And she's back. (laughs) For our key story, we'll discuss... UEFA's report, the business case for women's football. That's my favorite kind of thing to discuss. I absolutely love. Oh, any any research or reports into the commercial viability in the future of women's sport makes me so excited. Get you you, you print it all off and you get your highlighter out. Oh, so good. This little folder full of them. So good. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist and I play AFLW for the GWS Giants. Every week on the show, I'm joined by my co-host Bez. Chief Researcher and Queen of Merchandise at the Female Athlete Project. Bez, how are you this week? I'm pretty good. Mm. How about you? Yeah, not bad. You ready for a big week? Ooh, it's finally game week. It's very exciting. It's really exciting. Um, second time this year because our season obviously got brought forward for AFLW, but I'm pretty excited. How do you feel about the fact that you've done two pre-seasons in a year? Look, not great. I know pre-season's not your favourite thing. It's not many people's favourite things, but I think the nice part has – been that it has rolled over in a sense because we had less of an off season. So we've done less slog running for preseason. It's still been intense, but we haven't had to do as much round and round and round and round the field as we normally do. So dizzy. This podcast drops every Tuesday morning and you can also get it in an email newsletter format that our team works incredibly hard behind the scenes to pull together. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can subscribe to that one. And subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Let's take a look around the grounds. In athletics, British sprinter Dina Asher-Smith was running in the 100-metre final at the European Championships on the weekend, and she was looking to defend her Euro title. However, halfway through the race, she pulled up with cramps and finished last. In a post-race interview when she was asked what happened, Asher-Smith revealed she was currently on her period and then used the interview to call for funds to be directed to researching the effects of the menstrual cycle on athletes. She said post-race, yeah, girl stuff, issues. It's something more people need to research from a sports science perspective because it's absolutely huge. I feel like if it was a men's issue, there would be a million different ways to combat things. But with women, there just needs to be more funding in that area. We actually shared the video of this interview on our Instagram. And I think that's where I'm, I read something. I think it was in the comment section about the fact that three percent of all research is specifically like all sports research is only focused on female athletes frightening it's not a lot is it we saw british runner eilish mcholgan uh wrote an article for the bbc where she questioned why the subject was still seen as taboo and also called called for more to be done to allow athletes to understand the effect someone's menstrual cycle has on performance the com games gold medalist described running on her period as having legs that feel like they have been replaced with concrete blocks and that a screwdriver is carving out the Taj Mahal around my ovaries. Such a beautiful mental picture. That's really, (laughs) it's accurate though, right? So accurate. Some months, she said, it's manageable. Other months, it's unbearable. There's no telling which Eilish you're going to get on the day. To try and run or at least perform to the best of my ability is almost an impossible task. McColgan called for more conversation around the topic to remove the embarrassment that is often associated with discussing that time of the month. She encouraged coaches, physiotherapists, teachers, parents, partners, and friends to create space for an open dialogue. What I love about this, we actually had um, an education session at Giants the other day. One of our physios who specializes in women's health 
did a presentation to the whole team about it and they'd actually done a survey to ask us what how we were impacted individually by um, our period. What I love though is they made sure that all of the male staff were in the room for the education session because I think that's what's been a missing link a lot of the time is women know how it affects them. Um, there's obviously starting to be more research into that space, but I think it's really important that male staff and male coaches who are working with female athletes have a greater understanding of how significant the impacts of it can be. That if you put your hand up and say, hey, I'm in a serious amount of pain here, and, and she described it as it can be similar to a seven out of 10 pain in your hamstring just because it's in your ovaries doesn't mean it's not the same level of pain. How do you strap your ovaries? Oh, I'd love to know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with it. And, and that is that creating space for open dialogue is so important mm-hmm. because without discussing it and without it feeling taboo and embarrassing and all those things that tend to come along with those kind of women's issues. And look, we've kind of been conditioned to discuss them in a way where we don't get too graphic because mm-hmm. it does upset and offend and yeah it's all a bit ridiculous because it's a natural part of your human condition absolutely as much as sometimes you wish it wasn't if we had a choice we did see earlier this year women's tennis world number one Iga Sviantec address the issue at the French Open saying advances in medicine and technology could provide solutions to women athletes and as we have discussed earlier, we loved Kiwi golfer Lydia Ko when she left an interviewer speechless when she blamed her back problems on her period. As we said, I think it's well in the past that it's, it's this taboo topic and I think it's really important that we do have that open dialogue and discussion. Agree. In Rugby League, round one of the NRLW was played over the weekend and defending premiers, the Sydney Roosters, got off to the perfect start, defeating the Parramatta Eels 38-16. Isabel Kelly and Jamie Frassard both scored doubles and back rower Olivia Koenig made certain of the win for the Chooks when she burst onto a Racine McGregor pass and left new eel Brooke Walker in her wake to take the Roosters out to a 24-16 lead. The new look Newcastle Knights team lived up to the hype when they put the Brisbane Broncos away 32-14. It was the Knights' first NRLW victory and teenage half Jessie Southwell was instrumental in the win, opening the scoring with an exceptional individual try. She's got some deadly footwork, Jessie Southwell. So, so very good. Um, Marquee signing Millie Boyle was huge for the Knights, finishing with 18 runs for 159 metres. And Chloe's tip, the St George Illawarra Dragons, won their first match since a heartbreaking grand final loss in April. Just moments after the 26-12 triumph over the Gold Coast Titans, Dragons coach Jamie Soward declared Emma Tonegado the best number one in the world. And whoever is going to argue that probably doesn't know rugby league. She's the best number one in the world. She knows it. I know it. You know it. Kezi Apps knows it. Whoa. I do not disagree at all. (laughs) She's exceptional. ET was dangerous whenever she was near the footy and scored the Dragons opening try in the 12th minute. If the Red V can keep ET fit and involved, they are going to be hard to beat this season. Yeah, I completely if, agree. If, if you could bet on footy, which of course we don't condone. <laughs> so are we You're going to load a up ad? on the Red V. <laughs> what, what, they're not our sport, surely. Well, no, it's not a conflict. I think you're allowed to. We don't condone it. More rugby league news. Brisbane Broncos player Julia Robinson last week used her Instagram story to share Facebook comments from people criticizing her appearance at an NRLW training session. The online comments were pretty gross, to be honest. They said she was too muscular and was built like a man. And she actually called it out from her own platform. She said she usually ignores this type of trolling, but felt the need to speak out this time. She wrote, 
I just wanted to say that no one should be ashamed or self-conscious to have muscles. It shows dedication and hard work. I love my muscles. She was supported by numerous posts from her NRLW teammates and opponents. And in light of the recent mental health issues in sport, it was refreshing to see a united front from the players. New South Wales State of Origin captain Kezi App said that it's definitely not on. It's one of those things we have to deal with but shouldn't. With all this mental health stuff coming out, it's just so heartbreaking to think that people can still think it's okay to write those type of comments. It's not on and it shouldn't be. No one should ever write anything like that about anybody. The Broncos also put out a statement saying they strongly condemn belittling social media comments aimed at our three-time premiership winner. There is absolutely no room for these attitudes and actions anywhere in our game. Question for you, because we got a lot of comments. We also shared it um, and got some some huge engagement because people were really passionate about how out of place these comments were. A lot of questions. So Julia herself, when she reshared it, blanked out the names of the people that made the comments. And a lot of people say, you name should and shame. name and shame. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think she probably took the the high road and good on her. Is, it, is that whole kind of throwing rocks at each other really worth it? I think she's called out the behaviour rather mm. than the individuals. Mm-hmm. And that's important. What do you, what do you think? I... I would probably agree. I think sometimes it's worth block out the names, but there needs to be more done from the back end, whether it's by the NRL themselves or the platform, whether it's Meta coming in and taking control there. I think it's not up to the individual. I love that she called it out. It's it's spurred on this huge conversation, but I don't think by having Darren Rogers' name from Facebook, like- a lot of those people that make comments like that want to get, I was going to say, want to engage sometimes those ex- trolls. That's exactly what they want. Yeah. They and want so, the attention. Exactly. So I think don't give them the public attention, but from the back end, that's where their names need to be the the main source of information where someone actually goes after them and, and I don't know, deactivates their Facebook or mm. follows up with their employer or does something. I also love her response in, it shows dedication and hard work. I love my muscles. Yeah, so good. So good. You shared a photo of you training the other day and my comment back to you was just, Strong. Look at your cannons. <laughs> so surprised. So, semi-surprised. Uh, like that is like women need to be supporting women. And Absolutely. You're putting the hard work in and you do look strong. And your Thank body. You. Well, <laughs> Julia looks strong. You look stronger than normal. <laughs> I'll take it. In rugby union, the Wallaroos were unfortunately no match for the New Zealand Black Ferns in Christchurch on Saturday going down 52 to 5. It was the Aussie's heaviest loss in five years and the fact that the Black Ferns scored eight tries to one must be a little cause for concern amongst the Wallaroos hierarchy. The game was pretty evenly poised for the first quarter, but after Ferns co-captain Ruahe DeMont opened the scoring, it was all one-way traffic. So unlike the Wallaroos squad, not making excuses here, but this is, these are the facts. The Black Ferns are all professional athletes and rugby is their full-time job. It wasn't that long ago that the New Zealand team returned home from a tour of the Northern Hemisphere winless after suffering defeats to England and France. A review into team culture and management saw long-term coach Glenn Moore replace with All Blacks legend Wayne Smith. And if Saturday night is anything to go by, the Black Ferns will definitely be a different team when the World Cup begins in October than that team that came home. The Wallaroos, on the other hand have plenty of improvement in them and they will get a chance to show that improvement this weekend in Adelaide when they get another crack at the Kiwis. But the reality is it's hard to see how a team of school teachers, carpenters and factory workers can mount a challenge to a team of full-time professionals. 
Wallaroo is talented and there are some fierce athletes in that gold jersey, but the opportunity to make rugby their career has not been afforded to them and the gap between the professionals and the rest will most likely be on full display at the upcoming World Cup. The Kiwis, I think it's probably about 12 months now, they made the decision to um, contract their 15 squad. I think there's 30 contracted players. Yeah, wow. And they're on contracts anywhere between, I think 60,000 is the minimum for some of the youngsters and it's all the way up to 150,000 a year. So. They're full-time, and that definitely showed on Saturday. Mm. In AFLW, Season 7 is here, and the first match of the season sees Carlton host Collingwood at Icon Park on Thursday night. All 18 clubs will be hunting the flag for the first time, and given the large number of player movements in the off-season, it's pretty hard to work out who the clear favourites are going to be. I think if you look at the fact that the Melbourne Demons and the Brisbane Lions managed to keep majority of their list like they hardly lost any players during the expansion so we saw four new teams enter which means teams like the Adelaide Crows lost a lot of players to Port Adelaide which probably needed to happen they'd had a bit of a monopoly in that football state down there for a while and carrying some scars from some Crows defeats over there gosh I'm a little bit bitter about that (laughs) but I think yeah if we look at it the Demons and the Lions have done a very good job of maintaining their squad uh, their core list. Round one is going to take place during the bye round before the AFL men's finals and the AFLW finals will be held after the men's comp has finished altogether. So it's going to give the AFLW comp some free air, allowing for some double headers to be played during September, which is pretty cool with some of the men's finals. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works. So you will have some double headers, you will have some big games alongside the men's finals, and then you'll finish your season in that free space. I'm very intrigued to see how that that plays out. As am I. I think the one concern that I've heard a few people say, which I would echo around the double headers, I came over to your place to watch the men's game the other day. It goes for like three hours. Like it's a long time to sit down and then add women's games probably about a bit under two hours because our quarters are shorter. Yeah. Like that's a, it's a long day out. If you take your kids, it's a long day at the footy for a double header. My in-laws were here on the couch as well and they are Victorians. But, you know, back in the day, so Kerry, g'day Kerry. Big fan. She talks about going to Windy Hill as an Essendon fan mm. and watching three games on a Saturday. Wow. So back in the day they did watch under 21s, I think it was, reserve grade, and then yeah, wow. first grade for want of a better word. I'm sh- not sure what they called it. That's probably my rugby world coming out of me. But how many plastic cups of beer and pies are we having in two games? <laughs> so many meat pies, yum. Good cup snake time. <laughs> Back on to the normal topic. One of the most anticipated matches in round one will be the clash between newcomers Essendon and Hawthorne, which sold out 12,000-seat ETU Stadium before being moved to the 53,000-seat Marvel Stadium. That Saturday night match promises to be a cracker, and if you're in Melbourne, get to the game and be a part of the inaugural match between these two traditional footy rivals. In netball, the inaugural Australian Netball Championships are being held this week in regional Victoria. The tournament is a new-look pathway competition for emerging national talent. Ten teams will take part, and they will include state and territory member organisations, as well as Suncorp Super Netball League clubs. The week-long competition is a replacement for the more substantial Australian Netball League, which ran from 2008 to 2019 in alignment with Super Netball, which was effectively a reserve grade. Mm-hmm. And look, it's received some criticism for its poor timing and its short time frame. A question has been asked about the relevance of the event, given that all 80 contract positions for next season's Super Netball season have already been filled. 
and so have a proportion of the training partner roles of which many of these ANC participants aspire to. The Australian Netball's Players Association has had no formal role in the decision-making process, but CEO and former Australian captain Catherine Harvey-Williams made it clear that the PA has other ideas. She said, in an ideal world, our view is there needs to be a reserve competition that underpins the elite game, and that requires resources. So given Netball Australia's financial state of affairs, you just wonder how that can be elevated to that point anytime soon. And then her other option, if that, their other option, if that can't be achieved, they would like to see two rookies added to team lists of 10. This is a similar thing that we've seen in a few different sports where the squad size just isn't big enough to carry those up and coming players. Mm -hmm. Harvey Williams noted that the ANC does give the players the chance to compete for a week against their peers. But if we're looking to try and elevate the level of play in our country, then having two rookies immersed in the daily training environment with an SSN club with the opportunity to potentially play if their form warrants it would be a terrific development because then those players are in front of the eyes of all those people that are making decisions on contracts. In swimming, Ellie Cole is a legend of Australian swimming and she is finally retired after attempting to hang up the goggles in Tokyo and then in Birmingham. But as she said, then Swimming Australia decided to put a jewel in the pool on, so I'm doing a bit of a John Farnham. What a great reference. So good. I've said I'd retire three times, but this is definitely going to be it. The jewel in the pool was held in Sydney over the weekend and was the first time an event was held that included a mixed 4 by 50 metre multi-class slash able-bodied freestyle relay. The event featured two para and two able-bodied athletes from each gender competing on the same relay team for the first time ever at a major swimming event with international representation. Prior to the meet, Cole reflected on her time representing her country saying, I think it will be very emotional. It's going to be a very hard moment. Being a part of the Australian swim team is something that has been a part of my life for the last 17 years. Her impact transcends the Australian swimming scene and she has been an inspiration to so many people in and out of the pool. We're very excited to see what comes next for this absolute legend and if you want to listen in the meantime, she was on season one of the TFAT podcast. Go check it out. She's a bloody hero. One of my favourites from season one. Let's take a look at the key story. In soccer, last week, UEFA, the Union of European Football Associations, released a report entitled The Business Case for Women's Football. That report stated that women's football could see a six-fold increase in commercial value over Ooh, the next decade. We love that. Potentially reaching an annual value of 686 million euros by 2033. Now, I've just come back from Italy. I should be good on the conversions. Uh, it's about $900 million, Aussie. It's almost a billion dollars. Yeah, with club sponsorship set to increase to 295 million euros in that time. Also, euros are clams. Look at that sign. It's a clam. <laughs> That's what we call them, clams. How many clams is that? <laughs> I wish you could pay for things in clams. Clams. The report comes less than a month after the Euro 2022 tournament saw records fall throughout. It climaxed when a crowd of 87,192 saw England defeat Germany in the final at Wembley Stadium in London. The report highlights that the connection that the female game has already earned, stating and I love this, that it is inspirational, empowering, and family-friendly, friend attracting a di diverse, progressive, and young fan base. 
Sorry, but that's the kind of fan base that you want to be a part of. 100%. Because people keep talking about that. I've, I've seen that conversation come up multiple times, this idea that being in the crowd watching women's sport is a much friendlier and more welcoming place a lot of the time than watching men's sport. Absolutely. That fan base is predicted to grow from 144 million to 328 million fans over the next 10 years. UEFA produced the report after consultation with 42 leagues, 162 clubs, the European Club Association, 11 commercial partners, as well as 30 in-depth interviews with top executives and consumer research across 14 markets and more than 20,000 individuals. They haven't made this up. This is a this is legit fact time, people. Oh, we love it. Um, so on the back of the report, they provided 20 recommendations to inform club and league strategies and support stakeholders in developing the women's game and maximizing return on investment. The recommendations are grouped into five key themes, which are one, develop strategies and business plans, two, raise standards and professionalism on and off the pitch. I love that. So good. Because it is, we talk about professionalism on the pitch. So much of that relies on resources, training environments, investment in development off the pitch. Mm -hmm. It can't just be to the players. It has to be to everyone. Is that weird that I'm saying that as a manager of a team? Maybe. (laughs) I completely agree though. Number three, build a sustainable ecosystem Four, increase visibility and strengthen audience engagement. And five, build on the unique strengths of the women's game. I love those. Mm, Absolutely. Sometimes I wish I was in school so I could like do a PowerPoint on it. You can still do a PowerPoint. (laughs) UEFA's chief of women's football, Nadine Kessler, said, women's football is on an incredibly exciting trajectory with growth being seen across nearly every metric and across all of our stakeholders across Europe. The potential of the women's game is limitless and we believe we are on course to take women's football to heights that were unimaginable just a few years ago. As this report shows, now is the time to capitalise on the momentum we have created together. Now is the time to get involved and now is the time to invest. If I was in the crowd for that, I would be... Preach. Preach, Nadine. So good. She's absolutely killed that. So good. Let's take a look at what to watch. In netball, the ANC is live and free on KO Freebies with matches taking place each day this week. AFLW Season 7 is here. Game 1 is on Thursday night between Carlton and Collingwood at 7.10pm. You can watch live on the 7 Network, Foxtel and AFL.com. And make sure you tune in on Sunday at 12.10pm. To see the mighty GWS Giants take on the Western Bulldogs. How good. See Dalton three points. Oh, she's called it early. The Wallaroos in Rugby Union will be looking for revenge in Adelaide on Saturday when they face the New Zealand Black Ferns in Game 2 of the Laurie O'Reilly series. The game kicks off at 12.15pm and you can watch live on Stan Sport. Or in person. I'm going to be at both those games doing, on the weekend. She's going via Adelaide and then Melbourne before coming home to Sydney. You are committed. It's called commitment. Yeah. I'm going down to Adelaide at a couple of days early for a few wine tours. <laughs> the US Open begins next Monday, the 29th of August, with the draw being released later this week. We're getting the, the marker out, finding out when Serena's round one matches mm. and sharing that on the Insta. Absolutely. You can watch live on Stan Sport and the Nine Network. And that's the wrap. See you next week, friend. Great job. Uh, don't forget this podcast drops every Tuesday morning at 6am. Subscribe to the newsletter, shop our merch, follow us on Instagram at the Female Athlete Project. Producer Bailey almost fell asleep just then. Wow, his favourite episode to date. We are funny and entertaining <laughs> and he's clearly engaged. <laughs> See you next week. Ha <laughs> ha